0: Today, we're going to come back to our Christmas series, but I did want to just share one more update with you guys. I think it was Wednesday of this week, Tuesday or Wednesday of this week, that my phone, as I was still recovering from flu and pneumonia, started blowing up with people going, The church is moving! Where are we going? How many of you just surveyed are on our email list? You get the weekly emails from the church. Okay, if you're not and you wanna be, you can fill out a connection card today, drop it in the offering before you leave, and we'll get you on that list. Um, so if you are on the list, you got my email trying to just explain all that's going on, and I was, I was kinda like amazed at how many rumors go around this small town, things that I had never dreamed of. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you will in just a second. Um, people were texting me just going, The church is moving. I heard we're moving somewhere. Where are we moving? And I heard we're becoming an Italian restaurant. And I heard we're getting a liquor license and like, (laughs) relax. Okay, so I sent out an email, I think it was Thursday or Friday, basically to the entire church um, just really I, it was like four or five paragraphs but really what it said is take a deep breath and, and just settle here's what is going on here's what you need to know um, several months ago we had our landlord that we had had for several years in this building who sold the building to someone else and that person sold the building to someone else so now we're on landlord number three it's kind of like the child that you just where do I belong who loves me and that's kind of kind of what we feel like so this landlord is mr. Paul Butera some of you know Paul some of you don't um, Butera's restaurant is is what He owns, and they're actually shutting down their location at the country club. Now, here's what that means for us. He has very openly, very honestly, very kindly said to me what he would like to do is create a delivery service for their restaurant downstairs in the kitchen during the week. That, listen, this is the important part underline, highlight, take notes, tell your friends, share with the politicians who have other stories that will not interfere with our church. Okay? Amen? We are not moving. We're not going anywhere. We're going to have really good garlic bread for communion. Okay? Maybe Italian wine. I don't know. Okay? We have, and this is, this is what I said in the email, we have always been a low-weight, high-impact church. What I mean by that is we are very program Our One of our core values is relationships are greater than programs. So we are not stressed about this, even though many of you were. We are not, and it's going to be okay. The the good news of this, what I'm really excited about, is because we're going to cohabitate this building, our rent is actually immediately has been cut in half. We've been paying $500 a month plus utilities. Yeah, so... So we, we have cut, that's cut in half, probably over the next two or three months, he has said to me, we're not going to charge you rent at all, he's taking all the utilities back on. So here's the exciting part of that, because of this, because we're trying to stay low weight and high impact, God is, seems to be, and by the way, <laughs> church world, things can change in a heartbeat, okay, just so you know, this is his building, if he decides to turn it into a restaurant up here, we'll go somewhere else, we'll figure that out, okay, What seems to be happening is God is opening up the door for us to save a good bit of money and to actually pursue other options, um, paying off our property that we own much sooner, hopefully. Also pursuing, and please be praying about this, there's some space in the Market Square building right next door. Um, that we would like to pursue in the basement that and I have not seen it, I don't know anything about it that could potentially work for us to expand Kidstown and youth ministry, give our youth a full home, um, which they don't have. If you ever go downstairs, it is full down there and, and we need space. So just be praying about those things. You need to know we will always be completely open, honest and candid with you as a church. I'm not hiding anything, or not moving, okay? Everybody say that to your neighbor. The church is not going anywhere. It's gonna smell really good on Sunday mornings, Okay. <laughs> All right, so we're gonna jump in. It is good to be with you. If you have a Bible, go to Joshua chapter two. That's where we're gonna be, Joshua chapter two. I am so glad to be somewhat feeling human again. I have to tell you, in many ways, I feel like I've missed this Christmas season because I've been locked onto my couch. Um, About three and a half weeks ago, our family went down with the flu, and then they got better, and I got pneumonia, and it was the gift that kept giving. Um, I, I found myself thinking like a good day. I would text care. I was like, it's a good day, I showered, I put jeans on, and I shaved. Like That was, that was victory, um, but I am glad to be with you, glad for those that filled in. Scott Trent did a great job a couple weeks ago, kind of on call, uh, and then the Jingle Jam team was amazing last week. I thought they did uh, amazing, but yeah, I, I did, and you can give them a hand. I did want to tell you, I learned some lessons while I had the flu. This has absolutely nothing to do with the message today, but I thought I would just share some life lessons, some information that you all need to know. Three things. One, some of you are incredibly honest. All right, now here's what I mean by that. Many of you last Sunday when I was trying to stumble through here confirmed my theories by simply walking up to me and saying, you look terrible. (laughs) Thank you for your honesty. Um, The second thing, some of you have incredibly, this is the one, incredibly strong opinions about flu shots. You have zero compassion, by the way, but incredibly strong opinions about immunizations. I thought politics was destroying our country. It's not. It's immunizations. (laughs) We'll have a forum someday on that. Here's the third thing. Some of you are incredibly generous. Thank you for reaching out. Thank you for calling, texting, asking if we needed anything, buying food, coming to the door, knocking and leaving it on the steps and then running because you didn't want to be contaminated. So appreciate that. So appreciate all of you and uh, it's good to have energy back. Here's here's where I want to start today. We've been in this series called Ghosts of Christmas Past. I've got like three sermons packed into my head. I'm going to try to only give you one. In this series... We've been talking about the ghosts that we often carry with us, the things that can haunt us, the things that, especially in holiday seasons, can wear us down. So as we start, here's what I was thinking about this week. How many of you know that words can be incredibly powerful, right? Like words have the power to create life, to shape, to to guide, to heal, to motivate, and they have this negative impact. They can hurt people. They can wound us. They can discourage or even destroy I hear this statement every once in a while. People will say, well, it's only words. It's only words. Or, or that famous statement, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but you finish it. Words. words may never hurt me. Yeah, that's like the dumbest statement in the history of the world. Because it's totally not true. Like especially, I, I bet some of you remember from elementary school, first grade, somebody said something mean and nasty to you, and you still remember it because it hurt. <laughs> words can actually hurt, and they can hurt for a really long, long time time. There's this verse in in Proverbs 18, verse 21. It says this, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. See, words, this scripture tells us, can build us up. They can give life, or they can destroy. The truth is, when we hear things over and over and over again, it's hard not to actually believe that they're true. Words have shaping power in our lives, I remember when I was growing up, I, I was blessed with super encouraging parents. My mom especially would write notes and cards and encouraging things. And, and I just really believe that I often today am able to do what I can do because of those words of affirmation. I think it would be more difficult, maybe not impossible, but more difficult for me to do what I do today if I'd grown up hearing things like, you're pathetic, you're nothing, you're a loser, you, you're never going to amount to anything, I wish I'd never had you. See, words have such a powerful shaping force in our lives. Here's the reality. There, there are many of us, many of you and, and me in different areas of my life, and we actually, here's what happens. We actually struggle in the present because of labels we've picked up in the past. We actually walk through present parts of our life struggling because of the labels that we've held on to from the past. Maybe somebody said something about you one time and called you something, belittled you, made you feel less than, and you've internalized that label. Maybe you did something years and years and years ago and you can't seem to get the guilt to go away. Internally, you own that action and you connect that action to your identity with something that you did or something that someone said. Maybe you heard something about you on the outside and you started to let it internalize on the inside. I don't know what that label might be, but certainly there are those of you that have been given labels. Some of you maybe heard the label, you're lazy. You just don't ever want to do anything. You're just a lazy person. Or you've been told you're just too average. You're always going to be an average student. You're never going to be exceptional at anything. Or you're too insecure. What's your problem? Why are you so insecure? Or you have such a short temper. You're hot-headed. You lose your cool all the time. Or you're overly sensitive. Or you're annoying. You're pathetic. Whatever it might be. Some, some of you think, well, you're always bad at relationships. Or you're just too much to take. It's just, you're just a lot. Just dial it back some. And you own those things. Some of you, you might own the idea that, you know what, my family is always gonna be dysfunctional. That's just who we are. You put that label on your family. My family's broken. We're never gonna have a happy Christmas. We're never gonna have meaningful, deep, intimate relationships. See, let's be honest about this. Here's the reality. Sometimes when we internalize that negative label, there are times when there might actually be some truth to it. Or because we've internalized it, it starts to make it true. In other words, if someone says you're lazy and you own that label, you, not, you might not actually be the most motivated person there's ever been. Or you're a hothead. You might have a short temper. You, you might actually lose your temper more than the average person. There might be some truth to that label. But today, here's what I want you to hold on to. Take a note. So here's what I want you to write down. This is the thing that I want you to walk out of here with. What's true about you now or what's been true about you in the past doesn't have to be true about you forever. See, I want you to internalize that. I want you to to feel that, to believe it, to embrace it, because here's the truth. God's power is bigger than your past. God's power is way bigger than your past. His grace is stronger than any label that anyone would or has ever put on you. So what's true about you now doesn't have to be true about you forever. If you've embraced some hurtful, negative label that, that maybe paralyzes you, that holds you back, that holds you down, that tells you you're less than, if you've embraced that type of label, today, I wanna encourage you to start to name it something different. I wanna show you a story from the Old Testament in the book of Joshua, chapter two. Now, I'm just gonna preface this saying this is about the least Christmassy verses that you're ever gonna hear, okay? Two days before Christmas, this is not a Christmassy set of verses, so deal with it, we're gonna move on. It's hard to make a manger exciting every year, Okay? So the book of Joshua picks up after the death of Moses, and if you remember, if you remember the story of Moses and the Israelites, if you've seen the Disney movie, right, you know that Moses set the Israelites free. He led them out of captivity in Egypt. He did these amazing things, and, and the plagues were released on the Egyptians, and then they come to the Red Sea, and God's people cross the sea in dry land, and then the Egyptians come, and it gets less dry, like so much less dry that they all die. And Moses leads the people out and God says, I'm going to give you a promised land. But Moses, you're not going to see it. And where the book of Joshua picks up, Moses has died. And now Joshua is the one that's taking leadership of God's people. And so in the first chapter of Joshua, you get this story of a man who's young and he's stepping into leadership and he's absolutely terrified. And through the whole first chapter, God's reminding him, be strong, be strong and courageous. I'm going to give you this land. And then the rest of the book of Joshua is about God's people taking the land that God had promised them. In chapter two, we're told the story where God says the first piece of the land that you're going to get is this city called Jericho. So look at chapter two, verse one. This is where it starts out. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. I know. I know. They herded bulls there, I heard. Some of you will get that later. He said this, go look over the land. He says to the spies, go look over the land. He said, especially Jericho. So they went and they entered. Now watch this. They entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now this is the start of a scandalous story. And I want you to understand this. It's scandalous in so many ways. It's not scandalous because the Israelites were questionably going to a prostitute. That was a place where you would go if you didn't wanna be noticed. But they show up and Joshua sends the spies out and they end up in this house of the prostitute named Rahab. Let me tell you, first of all, why this is scandalous. Because in this whole story, in chapter two, Rahab is the only character who is given a name. The prostitute, the pagan prostitute, who's not of the people of God, is the only character in this story who has her name revealed. And in this chapter, there's all kinds of risque language. You can read it. You can study it. But here's the other thing. Here's what I thought when I was reading this, okay? Rahab's the only named character. How many of you know your name matters, right? Like some of you have been given names that have depth and meaning. You were named after someone or you were named with a purpose and a, and a passion. Names matter, names that you've inherited. Can you, can, can you imagine? Here, here's what I thought. You know how people pick those weird baby names today? You know what I'm talking about? Can you imagine being given one of those names? Like I, I, one of the days that I was sick on the couch, I was researching for this and I was like, what, what are the weirdest names that people have picked in the past year? I thought that would be fun. And I don't remember what the rules were, but it was like these were not just some one person in America named it. It was like several people thought these names were good ideas. Here's the strangest names that they came up with. Cookie. It gets worse. Peaches. And then there was like a bird thing. Dove, hawk, lark. Arbor, because they need a place to land. Breeze. Right? Can you imagine naming your kid Breeze? If you have any of these names, I'm sorry. And then... (laughs) because I just don't have a nice way to say it. We're judging you here. And then the last one I thought was Ajax, right? Like, Ajax, I'm a cleaning agent. Look at me, right? There are strange names. Now, in this story, we meet one named character, and she's known simply as Rahab the prostitute. Rahab. The prostitute. Now, being known as a prostitute is probably bad enough. It's probably enough baggage, social, cultural prejudice, judgment from every part of the community around her. But do you know what Rahab means? Rahab, if you translate it literally, it means broad. She's just a broad. That's, that's what it meant. She, her door is open to anyone. That's who she is. One theologian said of Rahab, she was a marginal figure in the society, tolerated but despised. If anybody knew what labels were like, Rahab knew what labels meant. I want you to consider that like so many of you today, Rahab knew what it meant to struggle in the present because of labels given in the past. But, and here's the important part, she also made the choice to let go of the ghost of those labels by determining that what was true of her now did not have to be true of her forever. Look at verse two of this chapter. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab bring out the men who came to you, who entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. Now imagine being the spies in this house going, Oh, shoot, the king heard about us. Well, at least we're with a prostitute who's so above board and has great integrity, we're going to be safe, right? That's not what they would be thinking. This probably meant to them, Oh, man, our mission is thwarted. This is bad news. We're at the mercy of a prostitute. And what are prostitutes good for? If Rahab sells her body for profit, surely she would sell out these spies. And see, watch. This is the moment where Rahab is faced with the choice of continuing to be who she's been labeled or letting go of the label that was true in the past and changing something in her life. Verse 4, look at this. But the woman had taken the two men and she had hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they had come from. See, the beauty of this moment in this story is this. Rahab chooses a different path. Everything that was known about her, she's cheap. She's a prostitute. She's just a broad. She sells her body and her soul, so surely she'll sell these guys out. Everything before this moment, she chooses something different, Right here, and that's the first thing that I want you to know about the labels in your life. See, I told you what was true about you now, what's been true about you in the past doesn't have to be true forever. Here's how this happens. If you're taking notes, write this down. Here's how this happens. I know this to be true. You don't get to choose what comes in your life. You do get to choose what you call it. You do not get the decision all the time of what is going to enter your life, what is going to happen to your life, what is going to come down on your shoulders. But we do, every single one of us, have the choice to determine what we call it. I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to bypass it. It's so critical for letting go of the ghosts of our labels. If there's something that's coming at you, something that you don't like, name it something different. You have to remember, as Rahab does in this moment, man, God's power is bigger than my past. God's presence is bigger than my past. What's been true about me in the past doesn't have to be true about me forever. I don't have to be the scandalous person. I don't have to be the person who sells people out. I don't have to have questionable character. I'm calling this something else. Some of you are terrified by your weaknesses, or you're embarrassed by your past. But what if, what if, what if your source of fear or shame or regret could also be named the source of your greatest strength? Think about this. How how many times do you think Rahab had hidden the secrets of men for shameful reasons? How many times do you think she had engaged in behaviors that said, I will cover this up. I will allow you to live lies. My guess is she was pretty good at keeping secrets. And now in this moment, she uses that strength for the purposes of God. See, if you don't like a label you've been given, then call it something else. Some of you today, by the end of this message, God's going to offer you a new name. He's going to call you something different and you're going to need to grow into it. So here's the first question that I have for you. What labels have you been given What labels have you been carrying, some of you for years, that today might need to be renamed? What do you need to call out as a label that you would say, this has to be renamed today? This is not easy. It's a process of faith that we see lived out by Rahab. Look at verse 6. But she had taken them up on the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies. The soldiers go chasing the spies because she's told them they're outside the city on the road that leads to the forest of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. So Rahab uses her gifts and says, I will protect the men of God and the soldiers will leave. Verse eight, before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, and I love this, I know that the Lord has given you this land. Rahab says this, I know that the Lord's given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. So check this out. This is the second scandalous part of this story. There are spies from the people of God. There are spies that the Lord, Yahweh, the creator of the universe, has said, listen, Israelites, I'm going to give you this land. And the spies go out and see this land, and they end up on the roof of a prostitute's house hiding under hay, going, Oh, shoot, what's God gonna do? And the pastoral moment, the spiritual encouragement, the person that steps into their life to say, Don't worry, don't be afraid, God's got this taken care of, is a pagan prostitute. Guys, it's okay. I know it's your God, I know he's not my God, I know he's gonna destroy all my people, but he's gonna do it, stop being afraid. This is scandalous, this is absolutely shocking. It is a pagan prostitute who speaks the truth of God to the people of God. You wanna talk about overcoming a label, here here it is, Write, write this down if you're taking notes. Losing the labels that have long defined us comes with living life with acts of faith. See, if we want to let go of the labels that define us, it will require of us. It will demand of us. It will become a discipline of our lives to say every day we're going to live with faith. We're going to take steps of faith. And and I mean this. You want to know how to get out from under the labels that have defined you? Take steps of obedience to God. You say, well, how do I do that? How do I hear from God? Wake up every single morning and ask God, what do you want from me today? which, by the way, will revolutionize 98% of the people in this room's life because you are like me and you wake up every single day and you go, what do my Facebook friends think? What do my Instagram friends think? What emails did I get last night? What's the weather like today? What do I have on my calendar? What do I have to get at the grocery store? We listen to voices first that are voices that don't define us. We wake up every single day with an act of faith, God, God, what do you want from me today? How do you want me to engage this day? We ask him, help me be courageous, help me listen, help me obey when I hear your voice. Then when you get to lunchtime, you stop and you pray for your food, sure, but you go, God, remind me, what is it that you want from me today? What did I miss this morning? And then if you miss something, well, you should have encouraged your coworker, but I don't like my coworker, but I told you to love everybody. Okay, you're right. You go fix it. We become obedient in acts of faith because when we are obedient in acts of faith and we go home that night and we do the same thing, God, what did, I, what, what did I see today? What did I reflect on today? The Catholic Jesuit order has this practice called Jesuit prayer, Ignatian prayer, where we reflect and we look at our day and we think, what did I miss? What did I see? What did I experience? What do I rejoice in? It's this ongoing practice of the presence of God that says, I'm looking at my life through faith. See, Rahab chooses not to be defined by her past, but rather by her faith in the future. She says, I know that God's gonna give you this land. I'm taking this act of faith every little step, every single day. When you do that, when you live every single day taking steps of faith, you will begin to lose. You will begin to shed the labels that have defined you for years because the voice of God is becoming more important in your life than the voice of everything else. Look at verse 12. This is my favorite part. Now then, please swear to me. This is Rahab still talking. Now, please swear to me. Remember, these guys are hiding under the hay. Okay, God's gonna give us the land. The prostitute told us that the pagan prostitute doesn't know God, she told us God's gonna give us land. Okay, we'll trust her, right? She goes on, she says, now, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Here's why I love this. Because Rahab doesn't look at them and say, I know the Lord's going to give you the land. And when he does that, could you just tell everybody I wasn't such a bad person? Could you just give me a new label? Could you just stop using the word prostitute when you describe me? Like, could you just, could you just, change, like, could you just change my reputation a little bit with the people of Israel? She doesn't do that. She is navigating her faith for the sake of others. She is making herself entirely powerless for the sake of others. She says, I don't care about my reputation. I want you to defend my family. I know God's gonna give you this whole city and your, your people are gonna have it, but I want you to defend me. I want you to defend my family. I want you to, to let God do something to save us. You know what I would recognize today? And, and this is kind of a tangent, but I think it's important. If you do much reading or listening to the broader culture, If you study much about self-help, you're gonna hear this message about the labels from your past. You're better than that label. It's okay, you just need a change of environment. You just need empowered. You're stronger than that. Just overcome and be the new you. Have you heard these messages? And so here's what happens more often than not. We see people's lives who are completely jacked up, suddenly reading something inspirational or listening to enough Oprah that they say, well, I'm a new me. Forget all the bad stuff, forget all the labels, I'm moving on. Yay, me. Hear these messages? And all their friends, at least on social media, celebrate their independence. Look at them go. They are so empowered, so liberated, they they they're so cool. And now they can drop the junk in their life. Usually dropping the junk means they leave a tough marriage, or they quit a hard job, or they drop some friends. And suddenly we're pursuing our own self-growth because we're empowered, we're empowered, we're empowered. Here's my problem with this, okay? This is pursuing healing through denial. This is trying to heal yourself by denying the mess of your life. It's a pathway that convinces you and me we were never really as broken as we thought we were. We were just in a bad environment. We just needed to change our perspective. And some of that is true, but listen. Changing your perspective, becoming empowered, dropping the drama in your life. None of those things confront the real issue that at our very core as human beings, at our very essence, you and I are completely, entirely, 100% jacked up (laughs) and left to our own devices. We make things worse. Have you noticed this? It's pursuing healing through denial. See, if you want to shed, ultimately, if you want to shed the labels... If you want to embrace a new future without them and you don't distract yourself with positive thinking because healing by denial is never a real thing. Physically, you don't treat it that way. If you're bleeding from the neck, you don't go, hey, I'm just in a bad environment. I just need to think positive about me. We don't do that. See, where true healing happens, and this sounds crazy, it's countercultural, it's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is always countercultural. This sounds great. Real healing comes when we recognize just how powerless we are. Real healing comes when we say, I have nothing that can save myself. Rahab comes to these spies and she says, without your mercy, I can't be saved. This is a Jesus moment. Listen, this is the gospel in one sentence. I can't be saved if you don't save me. That's what Rahab says to these spies. She lowers herself. She says, I am powerless without your mercy. See, friends, I don't believe you can ultimately let go of the labels in your life by simply thinking more positive thoughts about yourself. I think letting go of labels is built on a surrendered faith in Christ. Rahab puts herself at the mercy of God and his people because she knows it's only God who can give her a hope and a future. I love where this story ends up. About four chapters later in chapter 6, we see the Israelites invading Jericho. You know this story from, from Sunday school when you were kids, right? They marched around the city. And they marched around the city seven days in a row. And then on the seventh day, they marched seventh time. And here's what it says, chapter 6, verse 20. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in. And they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord. They destroyed with the sword every living thing in it. Men, women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. And that's where our Sunday school ended. Yay, God's people, they won. Why didn't they tell me this part? Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go to the prostitute's house, bring her out, all who belong to her, in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in, brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family, and they put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. I'm just going to tell you this. If you read the book of Joshua, it will mess with your head because you're going to be disturbed by how violent it is. There's some questions about God's people and and God sends them into lands and and cities and he says, when you go to these cities, destroy everything. I want everything devoted to me. But in this moment, can you imagine the scene? Can you imagine the city burning, the people destroyed and the prostitute and her family being the only ones spared? You see, from this very day on, Rahab was never again known simply as the prostitute. She was the prostitute who was rescued by God's mercy through his people. Rahab made choices. She made a choice to refuse to believe that what was true about her now did not have to be true about her forever. Listen, here's what I know, and I'm gonna wrap up with this. This isn't the strongest of Christmas messages. It was supposed to happen about three weeks ago. Sorry. Sorry. It's two days before the big day, and I'm telling a story about a prostitute in the Old Testament and the city being destroyed, right? I'm challenging you to let go of the labels in your life. So what does this have to do with Christmas? I wanna show you one more set of verses that are a little more Christmassy. It's one of my favorite parts of scripture. You all love these parts. It's a genealogy. Matthew 1, the first story of Jesus, the first gospel stories of Jesus. Matthew starts his book this way. Here's what it says. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham, verse 2, was the father of Isaac. By the way, I almost did our whole Christmas series on this genealogy. You're welcome that I did not. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Contain your excitement. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nishan. Nishan, the father of salmon, not the fish. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Now watch. Whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And if you read the rest of these verses, it says this is the lineage of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Don't miss this the way the writer of the gospel starts the very first story of Jesus' life is with Jesus' history, with his lineage. He gives a list of people in Jesus' lineage. And you know who's right there in the middle of that list? Rahab, the pagan prostitute. Except here, she's just Rahab. She isn't called the prostitute anymore. And you know why that is? Because I, I, I believe this. Here's why this is. When you're standing with Jesus... there's no other label that can define you besides being his child. When you're standing right next to Jesus, all those labels that have defined your life, all the shame, all the abuse, all the brokenness, all the pain, all the guilt, all all the negative effects of your life, when you're next to Jesus, those labels can't hang on to you. Those labels won't stick to you anymore. Those labels don't hold up because all you will see and all other people will see is, oh, that's the, they're with Jesus. They must be part of Jesus' family. Rahab, remember Rahab, she was spared. I don't even remember what her, her career was. She's just with Jesus. See, that's what we see. Friends, I believe that as much as we get bored with the lineages and the genealogies and scriptures, they're often really important because they share the history of someone's family and they reveal the power of God to overcome our labels. Even in that list, Abraham was a liar. Jacob stole his brother's birthright. Ruth was a Gentile immigrant refugee, which will mess with so many of our politics today. Rahab was a prostitute. But all of them now standing in Jesus' lineage as testaments that what was true of them then did not have to be true of them forever and neither does it for you I'm going to invite the band to come but I want you to think about these labels lazy average insecure too angry annoying pathetic bad at relationships too much to take broken abused chronically sick always dysfunctional. Your family's a mess. You weren't worth it. See, I want you to hear this one more time. Today, what's true about you now, what's been true about you in the past does not have to be true about you forever. Those labels are like rocks. Those labels are like stones that we carry in our bags with us every single place we go. They're like things that we can't shed, weights that we can't get off our back, weights that we can't let go of, things that every time we look in the mirror, we see. They're rocks that weigh a lot. But you know, the last book of the Bible gives us a picture of a different kind of rock. This book, Revelation, that is so hard to read, so hard to study, so hard at times to understand. God's Spirit speaks in this book in chapter 2, verse 17. Here's where it says, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then he says this, To the one who's victorious, I'll give some of the hidden manna. I'll give something that you can eat that will fill you up. And then he says this, I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. I don't know what your childhood was like. I don't know if you had a grandparent, maybe a grandpa, grandma, mom, dad, aunt, uncle, neighbor. But I hope, I hope that you had someone in your life that when they looked at you, all you saw were eyes of favor. I hope that you had someone in your life that when they saw you, you knew that you had made their day better. And chances are, if you had that person, that when they spoke your name, or maybe they had a nickname for you, maybe they had a special name, for you, but when they spoke that name or your name, something came alive in you because of the love, because of the favor that was poured out on you simply by what was in their heart. This verse to me speaks a truth that we need in the very epicenter of our being that God, when He looks at you, He has a name that only He knows. That only he knows. And someday he's going to give you. And I think it's only going to happen. See, Revelation's all about this this waiting, this longing, this apocalypse, this hoping for what God's going to make right someday. And I think he's going to hand us this stone. And we're going to realize maybe for the first time we're not carrying those stones anymore that we've carried for years. We're not carrying the labels anymore that we've carried for years. And this stone weighs nothing because this stone is God's name for us. And I don't know what that name might be for you, but maybe it's the name. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're my child. You're adopted. Everybody that told you you were unworthy, they were wrong because I created you and you're worthy. You're my beloved. You're my possession you are getting the inheritance that I've given to the, to, the, to the kingdom of God. You are mine. And you know how I know that's true? You ready for the Christmas bomb? This is the Christmas sermon right here. Because God sent his son, because two days from now, we're all gonna rejoice in the birth of a son that was born simply to remind us what we were meant to be, who we were meant to be. You are raising kids, you know this. Most of your job is reminding your kids who they're supposed to be, who they're called to be, who God has made them to be. That's I believe that's parenting, helping your kids remember the future. This is who you're supposed to be. Remember, remember, remember. And God's son was born to say to us, don't forget. Don't let those labels weigh you so down that you forget you were made to be. We're gonna sing. These guys are gonna sing a song over you. You can sing with them. You can worship with them. But as I've wanted to do through this whole series, I wanted like six weeks of this. It didn't happen, sorry. This altar's open because when we get rid of ghosts in our lives, sometimes we need to let them die on the altar. Remember Ghostbusters? You had to kill the ghosts, right? You had to put them in that little machine that they would never come back out. And they got back out and everything went to crazy. And Some of you need to bring your ghosts to the altar kill them. You need to let God take them. So if you want to come pray, we'll meet you. I'll meet you here. I'll pray with you. We'll lay these labels down. But as you hear these words, let God sing over you. Maybe God just even today wants to start to show you that stone with the name that he would call you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father.